All right, let's stand together this morning. Take your Bible, go to Luke chapter number 15 today. Luke chapter number 15. A very familiar passage of the Bible today that I want to look at. Uh, Luke chapter number 15 in the Word of God today. And I um, want to look at several verses here and uh, then bring a message that uh, I believe is needed for our time, for our day, and um, then look forward uh, to what the Lord will have for us in tonight's service as well. Luke 15, and I want you to go, if you would, uh, to a very familiar place. We call it the prodigal son uh, here in Luke 15, uh, verse number 11. And I just want to read a few verses of this. The Bible says, And a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Father, I pray this morning, may you add your blessing and your touch to the word of God. And Lord, speak to our heart today. We will thank you. And we will praise you for what you do. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. You can be seated. I want for just a few moments, and this certainly won't be anything new, that you have not heard some preacher preach. Maybe me, I don't know. But this morning, I want to look just for a few moments at this young man. And I want to see when he began to get in his heart a desire to want to leave home. I want you to think about this passage of the Word of God, and there are a lot of truths that we get from it. No doubt when you think about this passage of the Bible, you think about him joining himself to a citizen of another country. You think about him losing it all. You think about the brother that was jealous of what his father did when he came back. There are so many things in the Word of God that can be preached on Luke 15. If you're a preacher like I am that preaches a lot to young people, we use Luke 15 quite often uh, to preach to young people and to try to help them and to uh, give them something from the Word of God. But today, I want to look a little bit different. And today, I want you to think about this. What caused this young man to want to leave home? What made him think that I'd be better off out of my father's house. What made him feel like that if I get away from here, that I'll be happier, that I'll enjoy myself, and that I will be better off? Let me say this. There is no doubt today. There is no doubt today that God is doing a great work uh, around people in lives today. Uh, I do believe that a lot of people that are confused about their salvation probably are just not living a life every day that's consecrated to the Lord. And what I mean by that is, I think if you're in your Bible every day and you're praying every day as a child of God, I'm convinced that in your relationship, you'll know whether you're saved or not and not have to struggle and doubt that all the time. And I believe that. And I believe most of the time it's about relationship, not about regeneration. Amen. Though I do believe we need that. But here's a young man, if you think about this passage of the Bible, there's no doubt, that first of all, he's a part of the father's house. 
There's no doubt he belongs to the Father. And matter of fact, I want you to get a hold of this by going Father. I want you to understand that he was a father's son while he was at home. And he was a father's son when he left home. And he was the father's son when he came back home. You do not find this young man not being the father's son. He always was his son. Now that tells me, if you look in that picture of typology, that there is no doubt that this picture here is of someone that's left the Father's house. So what I want to preach on for a few moments is I want to preach on a far country look. And what I want to preach on a little bit today is what happens when people and you've heard me say this before, get on the porch and begin to look at the world and begin to decide that I would rather leave the things of God, leave the church, walk away from God and live, live in the world. I was listening to a message this morning in my office Preached by a good preacher. I don't know him personally, but boy, I was really enjoying the message. And this morning he was talking about pride. And he was talking about how that pride probably is the one thing that will damn more people to hell and ruin more people's life than anything else. You, you, you don't go around and say uh, someone is addicted to pornography, but they're a good person. Or you don't say someone is a child abuser, but they're a good person. But I've heard people a lot of times say, well, he's a good person, just got a little too much pride. Friend, do you realize that the Bible says that pride goeth before destruction? and that pride is a major sin and a lot of people will not go to heaven because of pride. But a lot of people will also leave the Father's house because of pride. Matter of fact, this young man said, give me basically what's coming to me. You give me what's coming. Dad, this is mine. I want it. You give me what I want. I'm leaving home. Now, I don't know what would cause you to want to leave the Father's house. I don't know what would draw you enough away that if you've ever been in the things of God and been around the Spirit of the Lord that you would ever want to get away from God's house. But I want to say this today. It affects all of us. Somehow the world is so attracting. Somehow the world pulls so hard at our lives that we look at the world and we almost wonder, what am I missing out on? What am I not getting to enjoy? And we begin to think, maybe I'd be better off if I just lived in the world instead of living for God. You say, preacher, I don't believe that's me. Well, I want to give you some symptoms of a far country look. And then I want you to ask yourself, after I give you these symptoms, if you in your life have been gazing out the door. You've heard me say before, if you're on the porch, get back in the house. And there is no doubt spiritually, 
that we have to read the Word of God, that we have to pray, that we have to have a personal relationship, that we cannot go day after day without talking to God, reading His Bible. Uh, If we don't do those things, we're going to get weak and we're going to be easily uh, persuaded and pulled away from the things of God. So there's no doubt that we have to make sure our life is where it needs to be. You ask yourself a question. How many times have you read the Bible in the last week? How many times have you prayed in the last week? How many services have you been in in the last week? How many times in the last week has your heart been upon the things of God? And you would say, preacher, I've been busy with work or whatever, or pleasure, or, or I really haven't had time. Well, just look at yourself and, and begin to think without doing those things like you ought to, what kind of shape are you in spiritually? And that affects all of us, including your pastor. I've been saved a long time, 31 years of ministry. But I'm telling you, when I'm too busy for this Bible, or when I'm too busy to pray, boy, it messes with my head. I'm telling you it does. I mean, I get stuff running through my mind. I, I begin to have these crazy thoughts. I, I begin to get weak in my flesh. Uh, and listen, I do this full time in my life. And if it affects me like that, what is it like for you being in school or being around a lost world at work? What is it like for you every day of your life that you can't get out of this world like I can? You can't step away from it like I do in my job. You, you have to be in it. I'm telling you, if you're not reading the Word of God and you're not praying and you're not getting that relationship where it needs to be, you will, I guarantee you, get a far country look. I guarantee you. Now, I think we've seen recently what the word, you know, you never heard anybody holler Jesus' name before they fly a plane into a building. You never heard anybody holler the name of Jesus before they run a truck over little children. That's the world. That's what the world is. I was amazed, and uh, this Pence fellow's going to be running with Trump on ticket. I know a little bit about him. I was in Indiana preaching a couple of meetings, and to be honest with you, uh, he's done very well for that state. But you know the very first thing I saw come out on Twitter from a Clinton camp about this fella? They're already trying to pull sodomites, and they're already trying to pull those uh, that, that want to go the liberal way, and they're saying, boy, we've got to be careful about this guy because he's for the Bible. He's against gay rights. He's against I mean, they go on and on. Already the world is saying we don't want anybody like that because if anybody around like that it's going to hurt our agenda. But yet that same world that says that we want to be a part of. I'm going to tell you this and I'm not being critical of any meeting going on anywhere. But I am convinced in my heart There's a whole lot of people, once you get saved by the blood, you ain't got to do it 10 times. But I am convinced in my heart that so many people are living so far away from God and that relationship that, praise God, they feel lost half the time and don't know where they're at. And I'm not saying that all 700 people in Burlington didn't get saved. I know there are many that truly did. And I know there are many in Yakinville. I know many. I preached last week. Seven people made professions. I trust that was real. But what I'm saying to you is this. I am convinced the closer we live for God, I'm convinced the more at peace we are. I believe that. 
Now please don't leave here today saying, oh Lord, he's against the Burlington Revival. I'm not against any revival. I don't even have to put a name to it. Revival's revival to me. And I will say this, I'm all for it. I'm for the men that are preaching it. I'm for all of that. But I'm really concerned about this confusion in churches. You say, well, preacher, you don't want anybody to go to hell. I sure don't. But I'm going to tell you this, there's a big difference between conviction and confusion. And one of the things that can be the case for that is, is that sometimes we've been on the porch too long. Right? You don't believe that's the case? How much time have you spent with God this week? Just ask yourself, you know. How much time have you spent with God this week? How much time have you spent in the world this week? Around worldly people? Worldly ambitions? Worldly things? Viewing worldly things? Being around it? I mean, sometimes I have to cut off Fox News because I feel dirty. Truth. Because it's constant, constant, constant of barbarous stuff all the time. And buddy, I believe sometimes we just need to get in the Bible and turn the TV off. Amen. Amen. So please do not tag me as one of them Baptist preachers that's against any meetings going on. I'm one of them for them, and I encourage you to go. And I encourage you, if you're not saved, get saved. All right? But before you get all bent out of frame, ask yourself a question. How is your relationship to Christ every day? Can I give you a few things, some symptoms? Here's some symptoms of a far country look. Number one, people's countenance changes. When someone gets a far country look, all of a sudden there's that lack of glow. All of a sudden that joy seems to be gone. All of a sudden that person that had that joy and that happiness and that excitement, all of a sudden it seems like that it's just not there. I've been preaching to Baptist churches 31 years of my life and I can watch people that I pastor get a far country look. Ain't nothing I can do about it either. Because they're not even looking at me, they're looking at the world. And I'm not saying that they're going out and wanting to drink a six pack of Budweiser. I'm not saying they're going out and wanting to buy dope on the back street somewhere in Statesville. But what I'm saying is, is literally their eyes are never really on the things of God and their focus and all of a sudden people that had joy of serving the Lord now seemingly have lost their joy. Their countenance is gone. Their faces went solemn. Something is missing. Their joy is gone. And can I say this today? The first thing that will happen to you is when you get off of your seat in your house and you decide, you know what? I'm going to go and I'm going to walk out and I'm going to step on the porch. The first thing you'll notice to start happening in your life is it'll change your countenance. That's as if, that's if you're saved. And if you're not saved, the world will, make, will satisfy, it'll make you happy. But if you're born again, it's hard to be happy in the world. Even though you may want to be, if you're saved, it's hard to be. Right? But I'm saying your countenance begins to change. And I'm telling you today, 
If something's robbing you of your joy of being a Christian, what is it? What is robbing you of your joy? Number two, watch this. Coldness becomes common. In other words, when someone has a far country look, their fellowship begins to suffer. Soon as service ends, they're the first one in the car. They can't wait to get out the door. They can't wait to get away. They come to church every week, but it's almost like they're standing on the porch. It's just like there's a coldness that's come over their lives. They yawn in church and they're bored with it all. Excitement's not there. They're cold. Now, they're not cold once they go through the back door. They're not cold once they get with friends. They're not cold once they do activities. But in church, they got cold. You know why? Because we've been on the porch looking at the world thinking, man, I'm missing out. That's what the devil did to Eve in the garden. Only reason he could tempt Eve, he convinced Eve she's missing out on something. You're not getting to eat that fruit, you're missing out. And can I say this to you today? The devil will do his best to let you believe that you're missing out on so much in your life. Freak, can I tell you what? You're not missing out on anything if you have a relationship to Christ like we ought to have because I don't know that there's any greater joy than being right with God in your life. I don't know if anything's better, but we're not all there. So coldness becomes common. You get cold to the things of God. You get cold to a lot of stuff. You you get frigid. Your countenance changes, then coldness becomes common. That's a far country look. You think that young man walked up to his dad and said, Dad, I'm so happy. Give me my inheritance so I can go enjoy it. I don't believe that. He walked up and said, I'm ready to get out of here. I'm ready to do my own thing. I'm ready to call my own shots. I'm ready, to, I'm ready to go and sink or swim. I'm ready to do it. And Daddy, I don't need your help. Now I say, Daddy, I'm talking about the Father. God. I don't need your help. I got what I need and I'm going to go enjoy it. I got a few numbers in my checking account and I'm going to have a time. I'm going to go get me some friends. I'm going to go hook up with some folks. I'm tired of that preacher hotter than me. I'm tired of I'm tired of people telling me I need to live right, need to be more favorite of church. I'm tired of all that. I'm sick of all that. Just to be honest with you, I'm getting ready to walk off this porch and I'm not going to be back for a while. Number three. Here's another symptom of a far country look. Not only does our countenance change and coldness becomes common, but number three, we begin to compromise our convictions. All of a sudden, we began to think, well, that ain't so bad. All of a sudden, things at one time that we thought were wrong no longer are wrong, or at least they're gray. It used to be black or white, and it used to be easy for us, but now it's really not that big a deal because all of a sudden now, we've got to a place we're so cold, and we're looking so much at the world that now all of a sudden, the world's really not that bad. We get used to the dark. We get used to being around things. It doesn't bother us anymore. I'm telling you, 
It started a lot of times with soap operas. Then it moves on to your, your primetime TV shows. Every day in your life you began to look at these things that at one time you would have never even thought about doing. At one time you never considered it. And then all of a sudden, it's not so bad. And we begin to change our conviction. We no longer even have convictions. And we use pride to boast of nobody tells me what to do. Or I'm living my own life. We get to the point, we walk out and get out of our mom and daddy's house or we go on with our life and all of a sudden, buddy, we ain't got any kind of conviction. Nothing bothers us. Because we think if I can ever get out them doors and get away from this house, everything's going to be good. It's a far country look. And people got it in every church, in every family. Preacher's kids, deacon's kids, Sunday school teacher's kids, faithful. I'm telling you, listen, convictions begin to be compromised. You think that fellow would have ever joined up with a person like he joined up with when he got in that other country? No. You'll, you'll hook up with people you never thought you'd hook up with. Once all of a sudden you get cold on God. All of a sudden your counsel starts changing. For you know it, I'll tell you what you'll do. You'll start getting hooked up with people you ought not be hooked up with. Because you don't have any conviction anymore. You're not bothered by it. There used to be a day you were convicted about missing the house of God. Boy, if you missed church, even if you had the flu, it would bother you. If you had to stay home with a runny nose, it'd bother you if you missed church that day. But now, it's no big deal. Grandma's coming over at four. I ain't going tonight. I'm going to stay home with Grandma. You're not bothered by that. You're not bothered by missing the house of God, missing the things of God. Why? Because you're on the porch and you're looking out and this world has become appealing. And I'm not just preaching at you. I'm preaching to you, but I'm also telling you, it's all of us. The world has a drawing factor. It's all of us. And when we start compromising everything we believe in the name of I'm free, I'm not going to try to get off on a chasing rabbit right here. I've done very well today not to do that. But I'll say something to you. I get really tired of hearing people leave fundamental churches and go to places that are carnal as a nightclub and make this statement, I feel so free in Jesus now. I'm so happy now. I get so sick of hearing that. Then they want to jump on fundamentalism. And they want to jump on preachers like me, like we've changed in the last year. Do you know I'm still preaching the same thing I did 31 years ago? Matter of fact, with a whole lot more grace. But I'm telling you, it hadn't changed. Did you know I was against sodomy 31 years ago? 
I was against shacking up 31 years ago. I was against liquor and drugs 31 years ago. I didn't change in the last year about those things. It's always been that way for me. But you know what happens when we begin that far country look? And I'm going to tell you what, this world's going to get some of you sympathizing. You're going to get where you almost cringe when somebody preaches on sin in a pulpit because you're afraid it's offending somebody. You're going to sit in your Baptist church and think that we're mean. But 10 years ago, you used to shout about it. That's until you got on the porch. You begin to compromise your convictions. Number four, complaining comes. You always find something to gripe about when you're not right with God. I want my stuff. And I'm leaving. You can tell people's relationship and how they walk with God by how much they complain. There's some people in the Baptist church rather climb a tree and complain than stay on the ground and be happy. And you know what that's got to do with? Relationship to God. Because if you're never satisfied with anything, something's wrong. If your life is constant turmoil about how bad you've got it, how good everybody else has got it, how you wish this and you wish that, if your entire life is all about griping and complaining all the time, where people don't even want to get around you. Somebody gets a new vehicle church, you don't go, well, isn't that great? You know what you do? I wonder how much that costs. <laughs> but if I didn't tithe, I could have something like that too. Or you could tithe and have something like it. Am I right? Complaining. I think one of the things I hate worse about pastoring churches is complaining. Woe is me. All about me. Bless my little heart. And what happens is, every day of our life we wake up thinking, who hadn't treated me right today? What, what today has somebody not done for me? Sure is quiet in here. Why would that boy want to take everything he had and leave the house? I'll tell you why. I bet he complained every day. I'm sick and tired of doing this work. I'm sick and tired of dad telling me what to do. I'm going to do my own thing, man. I am, I am bozo. Hear me roar. That's right. I'm preaching right. Because I know me and you know you. And ain't nobody we like better. And we always trying to figure out why the world don't treat us like we think we ought to be treated. Because we're special. So you know what we do? I, listen, save your breath coming to me and say, well, I'll be honest with you. 
this fundamental independent Baptist stuff, I'm just so tired of it. I just want to be able to enjoy being saved. Save your breath. I'm so sick of that mess. Huh? Yeah, I still preach the King James Bible and I still shout. And yeah, I still believe boys and girls look better together than two boys. And yeah, I still believe that drunkards ought to not be drunkards. And I still believe that dope's wrong. And hey, can I tell you this? Yeah, I still believe you ought to go to church faithful. But not because you have to. Not because somebody's making you. Not because you're going to let somebody down if you don't do it. I'll be honest with you. What these revivals stirring in our state have done to me, can I tell you the honest truth what they've done to me? They've made me take a good long look at me. And I don't like what I see. I'll be honest with you, I don't. Matter of fact, if some of you would just gaze in the mirror of the Word of God, you'd probably see some things that need to be straightened out. This past week I was preaching. See, we don't realize what kind of life that we have. Let me give this to all of you who've been raised in church all your life. This past week I'm preaching in a youth meeting. And there was probably 55, 60 total people in the little room I'm preaching in. And of all the 60 I'm preaching in, maybe three of them were over 16 years old. And that's just not my gear. I mean, I'm preaching to junior high kids. I'm preaching to some children. Uh, you know, I mean, that's just not, that's just not my gear. But, but boy, God bless her. Had seven saved, a couple teenagers saved. But I want to share something happened. The last night of the meeting, I preached on Wednesday night of, of youth camp. You can imagine, they've been outside 97 degrees all day, playing games, all this stuff. Then you go in and sit down in chapel service at night. Can you imagine how hard that is? Because you know, I mean, some of them are there and it's like. But God saw fit to show up and help us. It was a 17-year-old girl that got saved Wednesday night. She was under conviction for two days. She played the, the violin or fiddle with all the other young people uh, during the services, but every night I'd preach, she'd just weep. Tears were dripping on her face. And, and praise God, that night, 17 years old, she gave her life to Christ, got saved, smiled ear to ear, and I praise the Lord for that. But then something happened. Here's on Saturday I had a seven-year-old girl to walk up front. And I'm talking about a little darling. I'm talking about she was as cute. You know, she said, picture that seven-year-old little girl that just makes your heart melt. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, just that little seven-year-old, and some of you have got those, and you know, they just can look at you and you just say, here's the whole world, my checkbook, everything you can have. You know what I'm saying? And she comes walking up front, and I don't think much about it, seven years old. Some of them done come to altar to get saved three nights. I'm preaching. I think someone got saved 11 times. You, you know, it's youth camp. I mean, I'm a little, you know, I've been around it enough. She comes up. She's not crying. She is weeping. I'm talking about 
broken. So she comes walking up front. She comes up and I'm trying to remember who dealt with her. I can't remember when to who, who dealt with her. There's a lady, I think, in there. In there. But uh, when Daniel and Wendy were there with me. But, but anyway, she come up. Well, we got done, you know. I, I mean, I'm over here rejoicing over a 17-year-old that got saved because you know how we are. We don't like to say it, but every time a child comes up six or seven, in our brain we're thinking, boy, I hope they got it. I hope they understood. You, you, you know how we are. And don't act like you flew in here. All right. So anyway, she stands and I said, sweetheart, what, what happened to you tonight? This little seven-year-old, I got saved. She's just crying, you know. And I said, man, I'm so tickled for you. And some folks were hugging her. Anyway, service ended. And we closed in prayer. And I'm standing around longer than normal because Wednesday they gave me my love offering. <laughs> and while I'm standing there, Man walks up to me crying. Must have been 60s. He said, Brother Hazel, can I speak to you? I said, sure. And I'll, you'll see where this is going in a moment. I said, sure. I said, um, what you want? He said, I want to tell you about that little girl. I said, you mean the little one got saved? He said, yeah, the little one pointed at her. She's up there just happy, playing a little bit, you know. I said, all right. He said, her mom is a 100% full-fledged drug addict. Crack cocaine, full-blown drug addict. Her dad is in prison. He's weeping while he's telling me. He said her grandparents did not want her to come to this camp. They're raising her. They don't like God or church. Somehow we convinced them to let her come. He said, preacher, she will not go back and tell them she got saved. And somebody will say, well, praise the Lord. She will not be able to go back and hug her mom and tell her mom because her mom will be strung out. She won't be able to run to the prison and say, Daddy, I got saved. Because none of that exists. That's the kind of life she has. Seven. But you get that far country look. Because your parents tell you, you're going to church tonight. You're not going to listen to that music. You're not going to go to those places. And you get on the porch and you think, buddy, one day, I'll get away from you. I'll go do my own thing. And I'll raise my little seven-year-old while I'm strung on drugs or while I'm in prison. Or why I don't care about God. It's what a far country look brings. Can I finish? 
not 12 yet. Your spirituality's not quite run out yet. Your countenance changes. Coldness becomes common. Your convictions are compromised. Then complaining comes. That which at one time satisfied you doesn't satisfy you anymore. Then you change countries. The Bible says he joined himself to a citizen of that country. That was the first mistake. That was the second mistake. First one was leaving home. The second one was joining to a citizen of that country. Are you listening? Who you hook up with tells a whole lot about who you are. Why in the world anybody saved wants to hang out with lost people all the time? Well, I can't be mean to people. No, you can't. I, mean, I ride bicycles things with people every week that are unsaved. They don't care about God. I'm not mean to them. I'm not rude to them. But they say to me, let's go up here on town and sit here at O'Malley's and drink us some Budweiser together. I'm not going to do that. Because that's not what I do. Because you're better than them? No, because I'm saved. Got nothing to do with being better than anybody. I'm sure not better than anybody. You change countries. You join yourself to a citizen of that country. All of a sudden, you're holding hands with people that at one time you stayed away from because you knew if I get around them, I'm going to get in trouble. That's the symptoms of a far country look. Now, I want to real quickly, and I could preach this tonight, but I'm not. I'm going somewhere else, so you're going to have to bear with me for just a couple minutes here. And it's not late, I don't think. No, it's not late. I mean, if people can sit for three hours underneath their tent at 95 degrees and not complain about it, why in the world would you complain about sitting in here? Right? I mean, you know, if you're going to live at one place, live at another one. He learned some things we all need to learn. Number one, he learned some things about his flesh. He learned about the weakness of his flesh. He learned about the way his flesh would take him and he learned about the wickedness involved with his flesh. He learned that. I don't have time to get into this, but he learned about his friends. He learned that the real friends he had were at the Father's house. He learned that the real friends he had would not desert him. He learned that the real friends he had would not have a desire to take everything he had and then walk out on him. Where were his friends out when he was in Hopian? He learned something about the field. He learned how lonely it is. The Bible says no man gave. He learned the language of being in the field away from God. He was feeble and weak and he was depressed. The Bible said he came to himself. Can I just say this? I love that phrase. He came to himself. Do you love that phrase? You know what I think it's time for some of us to do? He came to himself. One of my pastor friends, you was going by, he's in heaven now, preach the message, don't tell yourself the truth. 
The Bible says uh, in the book of Psalms, tell yourself the truth in the inward parts or, or you know, being honest with yourself in the inward parts. Tell yourself the truth. If you told yourself the honest truth, if you were honestly truthful with yourself, I'm talking about with you. I'm not talking about nobody else. We're real good about looking down the row or looking at somebody else. We're real good at fundamentalists about seeing some fundamentalists that don't do good and we say, well, I'm better than that. Or it ain't real anyway. That's a cop out. That's all that is. You're trying to make yourself feel better. Right? I lost my train of thought right here, so maybe, maybe I don't need to mention it. I'll just go on. Maybe it was going to be something probably didn't mean to mention. He learned some things about us, about the field, the language of it, depressed. I know where I'm at now, so evidently it was just a 50s moment, not the Lord. God gets blamed for a whole lot of stuff, don't he? Let's just be honest, just a 50s moment. You know what I'm saying? You'll have them one day when I'm dead and kicking up daisies. Sometimes you just got to come to yourself and realize, you know what? I'm not where I need to be with God, and I know it. You ever been, you know, I don't know if somebody like Brother Crabtree has, but I have. I mean, I, you know, I watch his consistent life, and I know sometimes what I am, and I'm like, I wish I could be Brother Dermot. Pastor would think that I do. Sometimes I wish I could be him. Now, you know, I, love, I like to be that skinny and be able to eat all these desserts he does. <laughs> right? But what I'm saying is, do y'all ever get to that place sometime you take a good look at yourself and you all of a sudden think, you know what? The problem ain't nobody else. The problem's not my church is different or the problem's not some preacher on the internet that makes you feel like, well, I don't want to be a part of fundamentalism no more because what he said. That's not what I am. Have any of you in all the years that I've been off and on Facebook ever seen me one time hurt the cause of Christ with Facebook? One time. But I'm a fundamentalist. You say, preacher, what are you saying? Don't judge everybody by what some people that don't have a toy in their Happy Meal are doing. There's bitter people everywhere. Delete. Defriend. Destroy. Now watch. And I'll quit with this. He learned some things about his flesh, did he not? He learned some things about his friends, did he not? Let the world keep doing this to you. You go. Once they get what they want. Right? He learned some things about the field. But thank God he learned some things about the Father. Can we leave this on a wonderful note? What did he learn about the Father? Well, first of all, he learned that he had a Father that longed for him. Can I just say this? Now I feel like I ought to say it sitting down. Why in the world does God put up with us? You ever thought about that? 
Why in the world would God love children of his like us and long to fellowship with us the way we treat him? Whole time he's down there in the whole pen. His dad is not home going, well, I'll tell you what, I told him it was going to happen if he went that way. I'll tell you what, he's getting everything he deserved. Now, he might have been. But I don't get a picture of that in Luke 15. You know what I'm glad of? Can I say this? I'm glad he don't throw the clay away. I'm glad he doesn't give up on us. I'm glad he don't see our failure and say, you ain't worth a flip and I ain't got no need of you. I'm glad he'll pick you up, dust you off. He'll help you. He'll give you what you need. He'll get you back on track. I'm glad God doesn't give up on us. Because if he did, He learned about the longing of the Father. Watch this. He learned about the load of the Father. You the parents understand this, right? When your children don't, or you, you see your children drifting and they're not where they need to be with God. Boy, that weighs on you. That weighs on you. That father every day carried the weight of a son went away and then finally he learned about the love of the father why he loves me Miss Amy you and brother James get ready for invitation Peter do you love me greater love had no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends Can you imagine somebody sticking a knife in your back and twisting it? And the next day you love them just as much as you did before they ever stuck it in your back. The love of the Father. Can I say this to you today? If you're on the porch, get back in the house. Because the world will suck the life out of you, get what they want, and leave you high and dry. And if you have a personal relationship with Christ, you're going to be a miserable human being outside of the will of God for your life. You take it from somebody knows. I've been in this just a little while. And I know it personally, and this isn't a word, but I know it pastorally. <laughs> I know it. How's your relationship to Christ today? How much have you been in this book this week? How much have you prayed? How much have you complained? Is it everybody else's fault you're cold? Is you, I love when people leave a good church and they'll say something like this, I'm just not getting fed anymore. 
That makes me want to take somebody's head and just... Maybe you just ain't coming to the trough no more. You done left your spoon at home. Come up with that mess. If a Bible's being preached, you getting fed. Well, go, go somewhere and get the help. <laughs> I tell you what, get help ain't that way, it's this way. <laughs> Foreign country, look. Let's stand together, our heads bowed. You know what? I don't even want you to bow your heads yet. I want you to look at me a minute. I want to say this to you, and I don't, I don't know that this is the way that I should encourage you, but I have my struggles. And I don't even know if I'm supposed to say that or not. But I have my struggles, and I've had some lately. I have my battles. I battle my flesh. I battle my faith. I, I sometimes get a complaining spirit. I wonder why God does it for others and doesn't do it for me. And I don't even know if I should tell you that. A pastor called me this week, wants me to do a a pretty large youth meeting in Statesville, in the Civic Center. And he said, Preacher, God put you on my heart. And while he's telling me that, I'm on the phone going, you got to be kidding me. God put you, me, on your heart? You say, my Lord, Preacher, what are you doing, shooting folks? Not yet. But what I'm saying is, and maybe I shouldn't, maybe, maybe this is too much, but I get tired of people standing in pulpits and acting like they flew in the building and they're going to put the wings on and leave and everybody else is beneath them. Positionally, you're beneath me. I'm a God-called preacher, man of God. Positionally. Human being-wise, my morning breath stinks just like yours. I have a wife, fellas. And she has a husband. I have bills. I have highs and lows. But here's the thing the more my relationship is where it needs to be with Christ. It helps me not to complain, murmur, or cry, woe is me. When I see seven-year-old little girls that have a dad that's in prison and a mom that is a drug addict and grandparents that care nothing about God, it makes me appreciate a mama that took me to church. You bow your heads with me just a moment.
every head bowed, every eye closed. I've been honest with you. Would you be honest with me? How many of you ever say, Pastor, I don't really have a desire to get away from God. That's not my desire. My desire is not to walk away from the Lord. But preach, I do feel like I've been on the porch a little too much. I do feel like the world's had some pull on me. I do feel like that my countenance is not what it ought to be and some coldness has gotten my life. Preacher, I've even changed a few convictions. Preacher, I do feel like I need the Lord to revive me because I don't want to find myself in a hog pen someday a long way away from the Lord. Preacher, I'd appreciate if you just remember me in prayer. If you just pray, you may not even remember the name, but preacher, if you maybe can remember in your mind's eye looking across the auditorium. Preacher, you pray for me tonight, this morning. I want if you just slip your hand up, just you and God, honest. Thank you. Boy, that's all over this auditorium. And I ain't talking about one or two. You can put them down. I'm talking about, I'm I already people on the altar, but I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about several. I want to ask you a question. If you want your relationship better with the Lord, not better with the pastor, not better with the church, not better with your spouse, but if you want your relationship better with the Lord, won't you slip out of your seat if you slip your hand up and come and say, Preacher, I want my relationship better with the Lord. I want to have a better relationship with Him. Maybe a while ago when I was saying about reading that Bible or praying, maybe a while ago you got to think, you know what, I'm not doing that enough. Maybe I'm not growing in the Lord enough. And I just, I just want the Lord to help me to have a better relationship with Him. There's folks coming all over this auditorium, but there's still plenty of room. Don't let the devil lie to you and convince you that it's somebody else's fault your joy's not there. It's some circumstances' fault. Just come to yourself. Take a good look at yourself. Look at your relationship to Christ and ask yourself the question, how are things between me and Him? Hallelujah. Pray for revival. I am thine, O Lord. Pray, pray that God would stir you. Thy voice and it's pray that God would help you to fall in love with Him. Me, all over again. Pray God would rekindle the fire. Faith and be closer pray God lets you see that glass half full instead of half empty. Pray God would let you look around and see where you are with God. Grow in your relationships. Not blame it on everybody else. Most convictions are being compromised. Make up your mind. You're not going to go that way. Stand for the Lord. Lord, by the power of grace.
your heart's desire this morning for God to draw you nearer to Him? Look at me just a moment, folks on the altars praying, but look at me just a moment. Can I have just another minute to your time? Listen to me. Your daily walk with God determines your decision making, your attitude. Your daily walk in His Word and praying determines a lot about you. Decisions you make every day. You have to keep that relationship where it needs to be. Two people married can't live in the same house and be like two ships that pass in the night. You can't have a marriage like that. You can't have a marriage without communication, right? I mean, you want to get a house miserable? Get a man or wife that won't speak to the other one. They just walk through the house and won't speak. We and I've done it. She doesn't do it, but I, that's my little thing. You know, I just ain't talking to nobody. And you can feel the tension in the house. Imagine how fast, if you don't talk to God, what it's like. Right? We're going to throw our nose up at God and walk through the house. It's not everybody else's fault. It's not that bad in the Father's house. Amen. 